Hello and welcome to Running Inside Out Podcast, where we talk about the races we ran in, the races we're not in, and getting outside to see what's going on inside the Rochester running scene. This episode is our Twisted Branch preview show, and we're going to hear from three runners who will talk about what this race is to them uh, and their preparations for it and what it would mean to have a great Twisted Branch experience. So instead of just hearing my um, chittering nervousness about how I've never run 100K before and I plan on um, surviving and knowing that the training is there and constantly just pushing and pushing and pushing until I see every single inch of Scott McGee's beautiful course, um, you're going to hear from some other folks and get their point of view on this race. This has been uh, nine months in the making for me, um, so I'm kind of excited to get out there and um, see what happens. Although with just eight days remaining, I, I feel like I have about nine months of things and logistics I have to do to get ready. So as I think through that, I I've been going through my training and thinking none of this training will be as hard as Twisted Branch. Now, as I go through my pre-race preparations, I think none of my logistics are more complicated than Scott McGee's. And so it makes, it puts everything in perspective. Um, But with that, let's get into the trails, training, food, friends, and yes, even feelings of Rochester, New York runners. Our first interview is from Jackie Palmer, who you may know Jackie from the Cayuga Trails 50 race, but um, she's also ran pretty much um, a, a lot of the major races in the East Coast and even a few other places. Um, She's a physical therapist, a neuroscientist, a lover of trails, outdoors, and adventures. That's that's from her blog. I didn't write that. That's pretty good. But um, anyways, as I mentioned, you know her from Cayuga Trails 50, where she's finished fifth, third, and then this year, most recently, uh, second place. She's also ran well at such places like uh, Bandera 100K and JFK 50 Miler. She has numerous high place finishes from marathon up to 100K and even a third place at Grindstone 100 Miler. She's from Delaware, but she's a big fan of the Finger Lakes region and she explains why Twisted Branch has drawn her attention. You've run Cayuga Trails 50 the last three years, right? Mm, yep. <laughs> And and each year, it sounds like it's a new experience for you. Yeah, um, I, I think it really has been. Uh, the first year I did it, um, I did it uh, kind of, I, mean, I was in physical therapy school at the time. I was bogged down in clinicals and coursework and also doing research. So I really, um, needless to say, I did not get um, optimal training in. So it was kind of like... Uh, just kind of for fun, I guess. Um, the next year I did it, I 
had a lot better training under my belt. I felt pretty solid going into it. I ran about 20 minutes faster um, on a harder course because Ian made threw in some more climbing the second year. And then um, this past year, uh, I was fit, but my training was um, it was quite different than the second year, in that um, I was in. I was really geared up for a, a fast marathon with uh, Boston Marathon being my focus. So I really did a lot of um, speed work, some high quality, but my mileage was was low. Um, and so I had no idea. I did not think that was going to translate very well to a hilly, uh, mountainous 50-miler. But I think it actually worked in my favor. So that was kind of yeah. nice. <laughs> And I cut about so 20 what... minutes off my time from the second year this year. So, and so, so what draws you to Cayuga? What, what is it about that race that's got you to go back to it three years in a row? Um, I mean, it's just, it's just a really nice area up there. Um, Ian kind of makes it just a really nice weekend event. Um, you can, I go up there, uh, usually like Friday afternoon, um, race, you know, hang out Saturday races, uh, Sunday. And it's just, it's just a really nice, uh, weekend to get away up there in the Finger Lakes. I don't really get to go up there very often. It's also a very good time of year for me. I think, um, I usually look for a, a 50 mile or like a longer distance ultra around that time. So it's always kind of fit in. And so that that's it's really interesting that you mentioned it fits in with your your year, because for some people, you know, um, that they they pick a like a spring and a fall. Right. Big event. Uh -huh. But you, you really you have at least one big event per month. It seems like <laughs> sometimes sometimes two. <laughs> um, wh what are you uh, referencing, I guess? Um, well, I, I guess, you know, you ran, you ran, um, Cayuga trails, right. Uh -huh. And then, and then you sort of said, uh, in your, in your race report about Cayuga trails, you said next up is oil Creek hundred miler, mm -hmm. which you've been at oil Creek before. Right. Um, but in between yeah. oil Creek, oh, you haven't been there. Mm -hmm. Okay. So in between oil, you said oil Creek's up next and then you pick, um, Twisted Branch 100K, and I believe you also signed up for Call of the Wilds. Mm -hmm. So you have you have two events before Oil Creek, but uh, admittedly not 100 milers. Right. Is that is that all part of like a, a build up to 100 mile? Or I mean, uh, I assume you're going to be racing these events. Yeah, yeah. Um, well, Oil Creek is really uh, my focus. I did my first 100 miler last um, fall at Grindstone. Um, so I'd really like to, it was, it was certainly a learning experience. Um, I would definitely like to, uh, I mean, I did okay there. Um, I would like to improve on that. I'd like to give, uh, at first I kind of wrote off hundred milers. I was like, uh, I'm just, you know, not cut out for the hundred miler. Um, but I thought I'd give it another shot. Um, and I really, I don't think that I could go into that hundred miler having, no indicator of my fitness level. Um, and I really try to uh, pick up at least a, a two or three races to kind of, um, you know, give me a fitness indicator of like 
you know, what kind of shape am I in? Am I really ready for this? Even if it's just more confidence booster um, than anything, that's good. Um, I wouldn't say that I'm, um, I'll probably do like a mini taper for, um, for the, uh, the twisted branch and probably not too much of a taper for call of the wilds, but, um, yeah, I'm really looking forward to them. I'm planning on racing them, um, particularly, uh, twisted branch. So, yeah. And so, you know, step back one second to Cayuga trails. Cause I, I do want to understand the motivations behind Twisted Branch, but one thing I want to point out at, at Cayuga Trails was, as we, um, I was there for the whole race, so I was there for the start, and and I sort of noticed, you know, we we were just looking around, and um, I sort of noticed you had a, like a bit of a game face on, like you were kind <laughs> of, you were kind of like, I, I don't know, it wasn't like business but you were kind of walking around with a, a real sense of purpose, you know? And, um, I, I'm not sure. Was that, was that how you felt you were going around before the start of the race? Did you feel uh, that way? I, I was honestly really, I was kind of nervous before the start of this race because, uh, I knew that I felt like, you know, I had these, um, you know, expectations of me for that race. And, I had, meanwhile, I hadn't run longer than a marathon in eight months. Um, and I hadn't, wow. even, I hadn't even been doing uh, back-to-backs, which were like the staple of my, you know, 50-mile or long-distance ultra training. So I, I had no idea what I was I was in for. Um, but no, it's, it's funny you should say that because uh, uh, people do tell me that I, I have like a, a game face, I guess you can say. <laughs> I yeah, kind of, and of like zone out sometimes. Um, so and that's what it I'm sort of looked like. Of it, if that's what you're <laughs> well, well, you because you said I'm going to go into these races and I, I'm I intend to race them. And uh-huh. so uh, you know the other part of Cayuga was you sort of hung around in the beginning. I, I wouldn't say you were you weren't you weren't pushing up front. You were sort of in the middle middle. You were in the top twenty right at the beginning of the race. And then all of a sudden around mile 30, like you could see you came into the aid stations and your, your jaw was like set and you were like, (laughs) you were, you were just straight through and your mom is chasing you trying to swap out your water bottles because you're not stopping at aid stations. Is, is that how you go into it? You kind of just, you run and then all of a sudden you change gears and now you're, you're going all out for the last half of a race. Um, honestly, I didn't speed up that much, uh, in, at Cayuga or, or generally, I don't really speed up that much. Um, it's just everyone else slows down. Uh, <laughs> 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 like, honestly, if you look at have. my splits, I mean, I, I might try to pick it up a little bit. Um, but at that point I'm usually, you know, I, I'm kind of giving it what I have and, and I really, I guess I, I've kind of learned, um, what pace I'm able to, to, I'm good at figuring out what pace I can sustain for, you know, several hours, um, and, and kind of sticking to that. Um, and, uh, my crew that day was actually interesting because, um, my dad, so my mom and my aunt are, were crewing me that day. And my dad is usually the one who's like filling up my water and he knows exactly what I want. He's got an Excel spreadsheet of like, you know, everything that I need or could want at every aid station. And he's the one actually like 
physically doing the swapping and whatnot. Um, and he's got it down to a science. And my mom and my aunt kind of are the picture, the photographers. They, they love like taking pictures <laughs> of me. So my dad couldn't make it that day. So then they had to switch roles and it was a little bit chaotic. And I kind of like, you know, zooming through aid stations and a 50, um, because, uh, I, I don't know. I just, I just kind of like to, to keep moving. Um, I don't really like, like stopping for a 50 cause I just feel like it's that much harder to get going again. Although I, I mean, I definitely look forward to going into the aid stations. They definitely give me like a boost, you know, um, yeah, because you're seeing you're seeing some people. Yeah, I'm you're seeing getting my family. I'm seeing people. I'm getting the cheers, even though I might have my game face on. I'm still, <laughs> I still definitely it, it certainly helps. But um, I like getting 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 in and out of it um, as soon as possible. So a couple of the the Trails Rock crew that runs the Buttermilk Falls Aid Station. One of the things that um, we you know we obviously we have a lot of time to talk about the racers and. One of the things that's mentioned about you is, hey, Jackie is sneaky. She's very sneaky. She, um, you know, and it, it's, I think it's what you said. You're able to stay consistent. But I also do think that, that that idea of people get slower, if you have that in your mind that that person ahead of you is slowing down, then why not just pass them because they can't keep up with you? Is that is that sort of one of your tactics as well? <laughs> um, I mean, you don't have to give away all the secrets. <laughs> uh, I mean, if I know that it, it depends on what point in the race it is. Um, you know, if like my dad loves telling me, you know, he's in his he's got like a clipboard. So his other sheet, aside from all the stuff that I need, is how many minutes, seconds, whatever is the girl next girl in front of me and the first girl and whatever. Um, and he likes giving me those splits and I honestly, um, I really ignore them for in a 50 miler. I'll ignore them for the first 30 miles. Cause it, you know, mm -hmm. um, it doesn't, it doesn't really matter at that point yet. <laughs> um, <laughs> I got her. She's a minute ahead. Yeah. You know, I don't, I don't really care at mile 10 if she's, you know, two minutes ahead, you know, nothing counts at that point. Um, but, uh, you know, if it's, if it's the last like 10 or 15 miles, um, and I know I'm closing in on somebody, uh, I, I do try to, you know, I'll try to catch them. <laughs> mm -hmm. Yeah. Well, and, and why not? Cause they're getting slower and you're getting faster. Yeah, right? yeah, um, so, uh, you finished that Cayuga trails in, in second place, which is a pretty solid second place. Um, considering the winner had broke, um, the course record. Um, how did you feel coming out of that that race, considering you weren't very, as you said, trained? Did you feel like you accomplished something there? Uh, definitely. I mean, um, if I think the the biggest thing I learned from that race um, and my training leading up to, leading up to that race is uh, really how important um, rest and recovery are uh, during training, because. During that period of training, I really, like I said, my mileage was really low. Um, I would really make sure that I recovered well after, um, you know, good quality workouts. And uh, I really came out better for it, I think. So um, I, I think that my results at that race were really kind of a, you know, a pivotal, um, you know, moment in Oh wow, rest and recovery actually is important. So I should probably <laughs> do that more often. 
Well, so. you're you're a you're a physical therapist. Right? I know. Yeah. So <laughs> <laughs> it took me actually seeing. You know, I, it it's really um, it's really a tough balance with with training, knowing um, you know should I push through this fatigue? Should I not push through this fatigue? And what's, you know, good and what's bad and, you know, that type of a thing. And, um, I, I think that I'm still learning even being a PT, yeah. you know, you don't learn stuff like that and from a textbook. <laughs> right. And I, I sort of just had that experience the last two to three weeks. I, I was, I was still hitting the workouts, but I wasn't, I wasn't feeling great going through them. And I'd get to the end and I was tired. And then I'd get to the start of the next workout and I was still tired. And I was like, wait, I can't start a workout tired. And I skipped one day to, to actually just rest. And I, you know, rolled and stretched and everything. Last three workouts have been great. Mm -hmm. I, I, you know, like n not only did I like I hit what I wanted to hit, but I also felt good. And it's amazing what one one simple day and and as you said maybe it's not the maybe back-to-backs weren't what you needed at that point in your training cycle you know yeah. yeah um so jumping forward uh you had mentioned on your on your race report and we'll put a link to that so everybody can go read it because it's it's really fun to read actually <laughs> um <laughs> this year. yeah this year was, it was really fun um, you had mentioned Oil Creek was up next, but uh, as we just said, you got two stops along the way. Mm -hmm. um, so what made you pick Twisted Branch? What what was it about this race that you decided to, to jump in and come back up to uh, upstate New York and run? Um, honestly, I was looking for, I spent some time looking for a, uh, a hilly 50 miler or 100K that was, you know, um, within reasonable uh, commuting distance from me, um, about uh, five to seven weeks out from Oil Creek. And um, it actually took me a little while to find Twisted Branch because, you know, it is the inaugural race, but I found it. Um, and <laughs> I was kind of like, you know, oh, wow, this is a fun looking race. And then I looked at, you know, I looked it up on the social media and I was like, wow, this is really legit. I think I'm interested in doing this one. So, um you know, yeah, that's when I contacted Scott, and and so um, yeah, I think it, I think it'll be fun. I'm really looking forward to it. Yeah, and was, is there anything about you? You mentioned that you like getting up to the Finger Lakes area, and that's one of the main reasons I signed up for the race was when when I go through that area, I'm kind of like the Sunday driver. You know, I stop at all, I stop at all the little places. I go to the lookouts. I, you know, I'm like, ooh, the leaves are turning. Like that's totally me in in that space. So to be able to cross all that area on foot over the course of a day was like, yeah, totally. Why why would I not do that instantly? Um, was there something like that, or was this sort of like in a way you described it as a means to an end? So it fits your training, but now that it's getting closer, are there things that you're thinking about up in this area that appeal to you? Well, yeah, I'm going winery touring the next day. That's sure. oh, awesome. <laughs> I do that every day, every year after Cayuga, I've always, I've gone winery touring. Um, that's a great reward. Great times. Like I'm looking forward to that as much as the race. It's so fun. Um, to go around to, you know, cause they're, you know, they're all in that little loop. Well, most of them are in that loop around the, the, yeah. Especially Cuca Lake. Cuca Lake has some great wineries. Yeah. And, and they also got a few craft breweries now too. So that's, that's kind of exciting. Yeah. Uh, um, 
so then your what does your day look like um, when you know because a lot of people have signed it's the inaugural race and for a lot of people it's their inaugural 100k um, what does your race look like when you sort of show up what what did, do you have a um, I know your dad has your spreadsheet your mom <laughs> and your aunt have their signs and their pictures uh, um, what do you do so I'm actually gonna be missing my crew at this one um, oh my because uh, yeah, it's this race is actually a week before my wedding, so they were like, "We're not going. We're planning your wedding," and I was like, "All right, hmm. I'm going still." So, um, yeah, so I'm not going to have a crew. Um, so it's going to be. Uh, I mean, I have actually I've run um, I've run a hundred k. I'm think, trying to think. I've run at least one hundred kilometer um, without my crew. Um, I've run. Uh, probably a 50 mile or two without my crew. I mean, it can be done, um, but uh, it, it'll be um, a little bit more, you know, I'll be more independent. I'll have to keep up on my hydration, my nutrition, make sure I'm doing that independently uh, for the Twisted Branch this year. <laughs> So. And so will you will you wear like a pack and carry stuff or will you just go aid station to aid station? So I'm actually, I'm kind of, um, right now I'm trying to figure out if I'm, if I want to carry my hydration pack or, uh, just a handheld, I have like a 22 ounce handheld, um, that I, I might, you know, with like that you can store gels and whatnot. And so yeah, might, with a, like a pocket and yeah, all that. Yeah. yeah. So I might, I might just do that. Um, because I, I think there's, uh, enough aid stations that I could make it between them with with 22 ounces. Uh, yeah, there's they're mostly 10k apart, but there is there is a, some of those are like un un uh, unstaffed, and so it's just like water only type aid stations. Yeah. Um. So I mean, if you're jamming gels into a handheld and stuff, you know, you'll be you'll be in between those aid stations. What every 45 minutes or so, so you'll be doing fine. <laughs> yeah. So. Uh... So I'm, I'm thinking about just doing that. Um, of course, that means I, I can't, I'll have to actually stop and fill up my water bottle. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Nobody will be able to chase and having you. having my parents chase me with my hydration. <laughs> oh, that, that'll cost you 30, 30 seconds every 10K or so. Yeah. And so is, are there things about this... Um, what are, you, what are you hoping to get coming out of this? Is it, is it a gauge of... Um, time is it a gauge of time on feet feel good at the end um, I won and I feel good I <laughs> earned a glass of wine like what what would be a uh, perfect twisted branch uh, race for you um, it sounds kind of cliche but I I really just want to finish like I was feeling like I was in control the entire race um, you know, even if I felt like I had another gear left in me, that would be ideal. Um, you know, I don't, I guess, I don't want to cross the finish line feeling like I could not have run another step because that would not be a good thing because I'd have to run, you know, whatever it is, 38 more, uh, more miles at Oil Creek. Um, but, uh, yeah, I, I really just want to feel like I'm, I'm in control. I'm running well. I, I would really like to, um, stay, be able to stay up, uh, on my hydration and nutrition independently. Um, you know, because, 
That sounds like that sounds like that would be a pretty big a pretty big victory, yeah, right? Like, yeah, like I don't want to dig myself into a hole because like I have you know, everyone's made those mistakes and I'm mm-hmm. you know, not I, I've definitely made those mistakes also and um I don't want to make those mistakes in the these uh, couple of races leading up to Oil Creek. Well, yeah, and you you want to feel nice and refreshed going into your wedding, right? I mean, yeah, and also my my secondary goal is to minimize chafing. Now that is a noble noble goal. <laughs> That's actually my biggest concern. I'm like, oh man, how am I gonna prevent this yeah. uh, sports bra chafing? Yeah, so and and that's I've, you know that's well. It's, it's, <laughs> well, it's interesting because you will also have been out in the sun all day. I mean, we have trails and all that, but you'll be out all day. I mean, I guess that's something that you're sort of used to, right? It's just being yeah. out in the sun and taking care of that kind of thing. Mm-hmm. But yeah, you got to show up nice and fresh for your <laughs> for your wedding and feel good and be able to put on the smile. Yeah. Get get a week to get the game face off and get the wedding smile on, right? <laughs> yeah. That's super cool. What a uh, it's a big summer for you then, huh? Congratulations. Yeah, thank you. One of the other uh people that is running Oil Creek uh or that is running Twisted Branch, uh Davin Oskvig, uh won Oil Creek last year. And so he'll be running Twisted Branch and also um he'll be running Oil Creek again this year. So you two should yeah. you two should hook up at the race. Yeah, that'd be great. I really he actually just about that. Well, I know I know the description of the course and whatever, which is why I chose it, but I haven't been that, to that area yet. Yeah, he he won uh last year and he's going back, I guess. I I joke he's going back to defend the title, you know. Um but he just won Burning River 100 and I'm going to be interviewing him as similar to you as a Twisted Branch preview and uh, this guy, uh, I mean, he's at one point in 2012, like he didn't lose a race. Um, and so now he goes, he wins Burning River 100, decides that he's going to do Twisted Branch 100K on the way to Oil Creek. And that, like I said, that kind of busy um, run schedule in addition to normal life, because, you know, let's let's face it, um, the the checks help, right? The The millions of dollars that come in help, but you need the personal satisfaction of having a real job, right? Right. <laughs> um, so, yeah, I'm running. This is going to be my first 100K. So I've not run 100K. I just okay. like to talk. I just like to talk about them. Um, yeah, it's a, so, I saw it's a net downhill, which is exciting. But then I looked at all the elevation and I was like, oh, crap. <laughs> yeah, I've I've run. I've run the whole course now. I ran it in two halves. Does it have those uh, all those stone steps in it? Do you know? It has no stone steps. Oh, thank gosh. <laughs> no stone steps. It's really- what it in Cayuga every year <laughs> I know well that's what I, I read your Cayuga report and you're yeah. like and and it reads almost like you've only run the race once <laughs> like because you're like and then there were steps and I'm like but she knows the steps are coming why is she surprised <laughs> um <Yes>. but what <laughs> what this does have is a lot of um real steep prolonged climbs so it's not it's not like trail it's a lot of big rocks and roots kind of like washout creek bed type things Mm -hmm. um so it's rocks and roots and you know um seven to fourteen percent grade climbs 
um, for maybe half a mile. And then you go back down and then you go right back up. So it's a bit more technical yeah. than uh, Cayuga. Because I think Cayuga uh, is pretty like smooth running. Yeah, it is. It's Minus definitely technical. <laughs> yeah, both times. Um, see, when I think of steps, I think of knees. Like, oh, my knees hate steps. Um, but with Cayuga, with the groups that we both ran, um, everybody's complaint was their ankles were just tired. <laughs> you know, it was just like my ankles just need a break for just give me something flat to walk on for a few minutes. Um, there's only, I would say maybe five miles of road total to, to connect just pieces of the, um, finger likes trail. It's almost all exclusively trail. And the first part is straight downhill. That's where the net downhill comes from. Oh, I the think. First part. <laughs> yeah. Cause you leave, you leave the highest point in Ontario County and you just go straight down, um, a couple switchbacks, but you go all the way down, 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 down. And you climb a little, but then you go down, and then uh, it's all uphills. Um, the middle, I would say 20 to 40 are the toughest miles. Um, it's just there's been there's a couple of blowdowns that we're all hoping that get cleared out so we're not, like, climbing over logs and stuff. Um, it's beautiful the whole way, you know, if you like to be in the woods and, you know, you get these high vistas and stuff like that. But it is it's tough and technical. I'm I'm aiming for 13:30 is like my way out there a goal, you know. I, I figure 12 minute miles, and then the big climbs and add-ons for the big climbs. So, anyways, it's a fun course, but it there's 10,000 feet of climbing in each half. So. In each half. Yeah, in each half. So there's 20,000 feet of climbing. Yeah. Seriously. Yeah, I'll go check my Strava again, but yeah, I'm pretty sure that that's that's what I have. Oh, I thought there was ten thousand for the entire thing. Maybe I could have been drunk when I looked at this. <laughs> I mean, I um, because last time I looked at the website, it said uh, it only had the elevation profile, um, and then it didn't it didn't say like you know the total. So we were trying to kind of like calculate um just by like eyeballing it and we eyeballed mm -hmm. it around 10,000, but yeah, yeah, that's it. That's you're right. Cause the first half was 5,100. So yeah, sorry to freak you out. <laughs> I was like, Oh my gosh. <laughs> no. And, and it is a little bit longer than a hundred K it's about a hundred and two K. So, um, yeah. And the second half is 5,100 again as well. So yeah. Okay. 10,000, 10,200. Um, but it, there's, there's just some, some big, big climbs in there, but that's nothing that you can't handle. You know, just one of them goes, you know, there's the last, I'll, I'll tell you because, you know, um, it sticks in my brain. The lat, when you get to the Urbana aid station, which is like the last aid station and you're like, Oh, 4.5 miles to go. You cross the road and it's, switchbacks and you think you're going switchbacks up to a ridge but you're just doing switchbacks up and up and up and up and then you make a little turn and you start doing switchbacks down like there's no you don't run across a ridge so the last 4.5 miles is this huge just slog of uphill, uphill. <laughs> so you know that'll be fun yeah sounds like it <laughs> <laughs> um 
Well, Jackie, I'll let you uh, get to your evening. It's great uh, chatting with you. Thank you. Yeah. I appreciate it. No problem. I hope to see you on race day. I'll be the um, nervous, bearded guy wandering around, looking looking cold and afraid. Yeah, come <laughs> up and say hi. Hopefully, I, if I have my game face on, just ignore that. <laughs> Congratulations on the wedding again. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah I'm, I'm going to be in so much trouble if I have, like, shape bar. That's why I'm, like, oh, I should probably do the handheld, not the pack, because I'm going to have, like, shape marks on my shoulder. Yeah. Yeah, your your photographer your photographer will be the angriest one, you know. <laughs> uh, my mother will be the angriest one. <laughs> so, all right, cool. Um, marital bliss is all it's cracked up to be. So enjoy it. Yeah, thank you. My right. fiance is yeah. running too at the Twisted Branch. Oh yeah. Yeah, he is. <laughs> He's gonna be ahead of me if the first um, if the first what segment you said is all downhill. Yeah. He's. He yep. flies on the downhills, and then I'll catch up to him and pass him. Well, there you go. Yeah, <laughs> the, the downhill, the first downhill is fun, but it's at night, too, so that's interesting, you know, so. Mm -hmm. But, all right, cool. Well, maybe I'll get to meet him, too, then. Yeah, probably. All right. <laughs> have a well, great not night. I have a game face on. Oh, no? He's chatty? He's very, he's probably way more laid back than I am about. <laughs> <laughs> you, well, you got, you got an image to uphold now. <laughs> So that's the take from one of the more experienced and uh, seasoned top female runners in the region. Uh, Jackie seems like she really has a plan, and um, part of that is her game face. But don't, as she said, don't be intimidated. Just uh, go up and say hey to her at Twisted Branch. Now we're going to hear from one of the area's uh, quote-unquote newer runners, Kendra Chamberlain. Um, we all became familiar with Kendra as she won the Ontario Summit Marathon, but she also had a really nice finish in the uh, 2014 Sega Honda Marathon. So um, marathons are no new distance to her. Um, as you'll hear in this, she was a veteran at marathons right from the start. However, the 100K distance is brand new to her. Like me, she's never even run a 50-miler. So um, she shares a little bit about what she thinks uh, her Twisted Branch experience is going to be like, having never asked her body to run that distance before. Um, other interesting things about our conversation is, if you know Kendra at all, uh, outside is the place to be with her. So... We recorded in Genesee Valley Park, and it happened to be one of the windiest days of the summer. So, you know, we got some of that um, classic running inside out uh, ambiance, if you will. But uh, Kendra has a lot to say, and I found this uh, interview to be very interesting and engaging. So, listen up, folks. <laughs> Okay, so for you it goes back. The Y goes really far back, and then this just kind of happened because of the Y. Okay, so why do you start running? So that's, is that yeah, far? Is that far fine. enough back? That's good. We can start there. Um, well, I was really bad at sports that required coordination, and I think my dad saw that. He was a big athlete, saw that when I was young, 
and said, you know what, Kendra, it's been fun playing wiffle ball with you in the backyard, but let's go for a run. <laughs> <laughs> so I remember just running like back and forth to the gas station with him at the end of his runs, things like that. And he kind of encouraged me to go out for cross country versus soccer or something more competitive. And so I ran on really great cross country teams when I was younger, loved it, loved the team aspect. Um, got injured going into college, got a stress fracture and didn't run for like three years and just kind of came to the conclusion that that was it. I was just never going to run again. I kind of had to come to that conclusion because it was driving me crazy that I couldn't run. So just decided, all right, like this was a thing I loved. It was a huge part of me, but it's over. So that was in college. Um, and then after college, I, I just kind of wanted to see the world. I did a lot of traveling and as I started traveling, I started running in the places I was in. Um, did or drove around the country for a few months and I remember my friend would just kind of let me out of the car and I'd be like, okay, drive 10 miles and I'll meet you there. And she literally did that, slept in a lot of Walmart parking lots and I would wake up before she did and I'd just go run and come back. Um, and it was just a way for me to kind of process my own life. I had no idea what I was doing at that point. I had graduated college, didn't, hadn't even wanted to go to college, but my parents wanted me to and I'm really glad they did now, now that I have, have a degree and a good job. Um, so I guess when it really started picking up for me was I did, I did an AmeriCorps program for 10 months and I was living with 10 to 12 people at a time. We had one government vehicle, one government issued laptop, and sometimes we were living in places like uh, Tent City. We'd set up a tent city in the backyard somewhere or we slept on the beach a lot, um, had a really, really, really small living quarters for 10 people and we worked all day together they were the only people I saw for recreation, and then we'd sleep in the same house together or whatever it was, garage. So I needed an escape. <laughs> so I wow. started to run and run and run and run, and it was the only like it was the only way I could get away and just be by myself because I didn't have a vehicle. There was rarely cell reception wherever we were. Um, so I just started using that time to to be alone. I've always been really introspective. Over I overthink everything. I'm a lot better now than I used to be, but um, very emotional person. So for me, running has at that point was just about being out, coming to terms with myself and where I was in life. Um, and then, actually, I think I shared this with you before, but my first marathon was actually an accident. I thought it was going to be a half marathon. I was running with like the hot shots of AmeriCorps at that time, and they convinced me to come out and run this half marathon with them. And we went to this trailhead in the woods somewhere in Delaware. I don't even know where we were. And we're sitting on the starting line and it was this guy, his name was Stumpy, and he said, so today's my birthday and every year for my birthday I have everyone run a marathon. And I kind of laughed, I'm like, haha, marathon. And I look around and everyone's like, yeah, marathon. <laughs> and I look at these guys and I'm like, what? What do you mean a marathon? This is a half marathon. They're like, I know, we thought it was a half marathon. And I said, okay, I'm going to run a marathon. Here we go. It was all on trails. And it was probably the first time in my life that I truly loved myself, like loved that my body was able to do this, appreciated my body, just couldn't believe that as I kept asking it to do more and to keep going and to just relax. Like I could say to my body, just relax, like just relax, just do this. All you're doing is running. It's beautiful, it's a beautiful day that it could keep doing it. So <clears throat> wow. I guess fast forward a little bit to a few years ago, I moved, I moved back to Rochester probably five years ago and still had no idea what I was doing in my life. I had spent three years traveling around the world. I went to Ghana, West Africa, did some service work around the country. 
um, still had no idea what I wanted to do with my life. So what, so what do I do? I run, right? That's, you when go. you don't know what to do, you just run, or at least I just ran. And it was just, again, just about being out, being with myself, trying to piece together who I was and where my life was going. And someone said to me, Kendra, you're insane. No one just runs 20 miles for fun. <laughs> like sign up and run a race. So I ran, I ran the Buffalo Marathon that year, qualified for Boston and um, ran Boston the year of the bombings, which kind of put a quick end to my desire to race, to be honest. That was um, a pretty horrible experience that took a long time to recover, to recover from, not from the race, but from the experience. Um, but six weeks after that, I, I had signed up and I ran the Sagahunda Trail Marathon, and um, that was like therapy for me, to be out on the right. trails for a marathon. Completely different it's experience. Totally, totally different experience. And I have never gone back to roads, other than to bandit the Philadelphia Marathon once with a friend of mine. Um, I've never gone back to roads, and I just yeah. realized that for me, it's it's almost like it's as much about the run, as much about being outside, about being in nature, about being in the woods, about climbing to these high places, as it is about the actual act of running. So for me to run roads, it just doesn't. It's not the complete picture for me anymore. You know, it's not only the physical, but there's a, a mental aspect as well. There's this huge mental, emotional aspect for me that comes out when I run, and so I guess I'm kind of like when you ask me to do this, I'm I'm flattered, but I feel a little silly because I don't have all of this. I don't love to race. Mm -hmm. I don't love all of the gear and like the running stuff. I don't know all of the running people. I don't know much about this at all. It's just kind of something I'm doing. Um, I did a Ragnar up in West Virginia. It was kind of similar to what Mighty Mosquito will be like. It was just everyone camped out. It was crazy. It was last spring. And after, that was the first time I'd been on like really rugged trails. I think my ankles felt like they're gonna break for like a week and a half afterwards. <laughs> but it was kind of nice. It was kind of cool and really fun to run at night. Um, and while I was there, one of the guys on my team said, hey, I've always wanted to run an ultra. And I said, you know what, it sounds kind of interesting. You know, I read Born to Run. I could, I could consider that. So we signed up and ran Vir the Virgil 50K, which it was actually 34 miles. So for me, that felt far um, last fall. And then it's really, as far as why I'm doing Twisted, it's really as simple as him saying, all right, let's do something a little further. And I said, okay. And so here I am training for Twisted and coming into this, um, I... Sorry, I'm like talking a lot. Did you want to interrupt me? <laughs> Not at all. Okay. Um, I was smart enough to know that I did not know enough about this sport coming into it. So I reached out to Mort and just said, hey, do you know of anyone who could kind of help me along the way for this race? Because let's face it, I don't know what I'm doing, like at all. I didn't even know that I should carry water or, you know, what I should eat. I don't, I don't know. I don't know about this stuff. And he was quick to reply with a couple of people. So he hooked me up with someone who's been really, really, really instrumental to me in preparing for this because he, he understands that emotional side of it um, isn't all caught up in, you know, nailing your workouts based on miles and like just following a plan, but it's very, very intuitive, very much about like how I feel on a certain week, listening to my body, doing what my body will let me do, um, knowing when to push it, when not to push it, which is what works, has worked for me so far. Um, so I, you know, I did my biggest weekend last weekend. I feel good. I feel strong. I definitely have had some low spots in the training this year. I've been battling plantar fasciitis since like February or March, I think. And um, got a good case of poison ivy <laughs> about a month ago. <laughs> oh. 
But hey, the steroids were great. You know, I had some really good runs during that point too. <laughs> That's, I had a, I had on my my elbow, and then on the inside of my leg, I fell in in Tryon Park, and every time after I would run, it would like sweat and aggravate oh it, and it would get itchy, mm -hmm. and I'm like. This is not what I'm supposed to be dealing with. Yeah. So I actually broke down and went and got the steroid Steroids. cream because after like three weeks it wasn't going away. Yeah. So I've had it twice before, so I just went straight to the doctor and said, here's the deal. I need like real steroids. <laughs> real, give me <laughs> the, the real, real thing. I need it today. <laughs> wow. So when did you decide that you were, when, so you had said you did Virgil and then you wanted to do something a little bit further and you were one of the first people that signed up for <laughs> Twisted Branch, right? I, I remember seeing so. your name like, like right around the time I signed up in the beginning yeah, of December so, maybe. Yeah, it was it was like almost as soon as maybe the day it was posted, I'm not sure. Mm -hmm. um, I waited for this other person to register. He forwarded me his confirmation and said you're next. <laughs> I said okay. And I did it and I think when you don't know, when you've never done it before, you don't really think about what it means maybe mm -hmm. I didn't I had no idea what this would be like um, and for me it, I keep coming back to this question of why and I think maybe maybe it's something that most of us are asking why do we do this you know we're not elites we're never gonna be elites like I'm never gonna make money doing this why why am I it's taking away from my family time from you know at work I'm tired I'm hungry um, so why why do I do this and maybe my answer isn't isn't exactly what what people would expect or want to hear um, and maybe I don't even have an answer yet but I'm and it's too soon to say this for sure but I'm not I'm not sure I'll do it again <laughs> <laughs> to be honest I don't know if that's what you want to hear in a podcast but about running this but, is about you it's um, like what yeah, what is, what's so, going on you know? yeah because for me running is so so personal it's so much um, honestly running on trails has kind of taken me outside of my head when I'm running. I used to be able to just zone out and really, really hone in on these things that I'm thinking about and working through personally, whereas on the trails, if you do that, you trip and fall, you know, or you <laughs> run into something. So it's made me really focus more on just um, finding finding a place of m that mindfulness. It's actually something, um, Jim Malosky is actually the person who's helping me. And he's, he was part of the the thing at Medved that was about ultra running, he was on that panel, and I think he said this there, is that for him running is a form of mindfulness, and I never really thought of it like that, but that's definitely the best way to describe it. And, you know, people spend hours reading books about how to be mindful, or going to yoga classes, or meditating, things, things that get them to a point... Yeah. Um, One thing I've learned... Just let it sleep. Yeah. Okay, so people spend hours. People spend hours and so much money getting to a point where they can then go through life at a, in, a, in a good way, you know, getting to, that, getting to that, that ground where you feel like you can conquer life. And it really helped me, thinking of it that way made me feel less guilty about, about this, about the time I spent on it, because in a sense it is my therapy, it's my therapy, it's, it's my yoga, it's my, um, my mindfulness, it's my meditation, it's like spiritual on some level for me too. So it's all of these things that people get in different ways. I just happen to get it by going out for a three or four hour run, which has kind of, like I said, just made me maybe just ease my conscience about it a little bit. Um, yeah. Yeah, and 
So that's, I mean, you're you're going through the spring. You ran Sega Honda again this year. No, oh, uh, I ran did. Ontario. You ran Ontario yeah. Summit, and you did rather well at Ontario Summit. <laughs> that was a mistake, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that was, um, so, so going into this then, once I did decide to have someone help me, I decided if I'm going to do this, I'm going to do it the best that I can, which yeah. will be a switch for me to go from just running what I feel like to running what I need to do to become the best that I can. And I don't know... I think with the ultra running, you can't become the best that you can be in your first ultra, you know, or your first 100K. It takes years. There's a lot to learn. But, um... The first thing is learning whether or not you like to do them, right? Right, right. Well, and so here's the thing with Ontario. I had an awesome experience. I felt good the whole time. It did not take me long to recover. I paced off Dan Ostrander, which was just perfect. He had a perfect pace. (laughs) (laughs) And he didn't talk too much. That was nice. (laughs) Um, which is but, an oddity for Dan, right? By the which way. I learned this last weekend <laughs> when I had those last 16 miles of our 36 with him. I was like, "Oh, this will be great! Like, he'll be so quiet. <laughs> it's okay if you don't crop this up." Out, but Dan, I was shocked that you can just talk and talk and talk. <laughs> yeah, we've all we've all learned that. Dan I told is- him at one point, I was like, "Don't be offended if I don't respond. I'm just in the. I'm at the point where I'm ready to zone out." You know? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um. So, so Ontario gave me a good idea of where I stood and it shocked me that I won and felt fine doing it that you know I know it was was a small race um a lot I don't think anyone else who's doing twisted ran that race and it's such a different distance too it was a a marathon's totally different than 100k I've never run more than 36 miles in my life so it's a different animal but um coming out of there all of a sudden I had all of these people in this running community that I've not at all been a part of Facebook friending me, sending me messages, telling me I did so great. And all of a sudden I got scared, like really scared because then everyone's thinking Twisted. Okay, so now who's going to win Twisted? You know, who's going to... I'm like, guys, I just ran... I just won a marathon, a small marathon. That is totally different. This is a totally different animal, you know? Yeah. Um, So I got kind of like wrapped up in that and, and nervous about it for a couple weeks and then realized through the help of some other people that... That, that's not why I'm running Twisted. It's not to win it. It's yeah. not to prove anything to anyone else. It's to prove. To, it's to see what I can do. I want to see what I personally am capable of. Can I run this? Can I do this? And a big part of it was, could I even train for it? Could I maintain a normal life, keep my relationships strong, and train for something like this? And it's been awesome to see that my body is just adapted. You can see that too, you know? And it's just, and it's just amazing that a few months ago, a two-hour run was a big deal, and now you're out for seven hours, and you're okay, you're fine. That's crazy. The yeah. body can adapt like that. Right. And it's it's kind of a it's kind of a big deal to mm-hmm. to think about I'm going to go out and I'm going to go uh, and the way I describe twisted branch to people is I'm going to start in Naples. <laughs> I'm going to run down the length of Canandaigua Lake. I'm going to run over to Cuca Lake and then down to Hammond's Park. Like you can ask your legs and your body and your mind to do all that right you know and and you can think it's capable of right. doing it you can believe you know? that it can yeah right and I, I guess I'm at that point right now this last weekend was really good for me you know I ran for a couple hours the next day too we did like a group 36 mile run um last weekend so for me to realize that and I'm fine like I had one of the best runs of the summer Tuesday you know it just everything felt great I know very, I'm very aware that it's going to be hard, but there are points. You know, I had one four-hour run this this summer where 
the last two hours were miserable. Just miserable. I just remember I just looking at the trail and looking at the grass off to the side and just wanting to fall over and curl up. Just curl up and fall asleep. I just wanted to sleep in the grass. It looked so nice. And you start like seeing Starbucks everywhere, you know, even though you're like out in the woods. Yeah. Um, so I just imagine like if that happens times however many more hours, that's hard. That's really hard. And I think I will get to that point. But what I want to see is what what do I do when that happens? How do I react when that happens? Mm -hmm. And I guess, I think it all translates into something more than just running. It's kind of in life, like what happens when you get to that point? What do you do? Do you curl up on the side of the trail and just lie there? Or do you just kind of realize it's gonna suck for a little while and keep going? Mm -hmm. And I've, I think I've had some of those times in my life that it's, things have not always been awesome. Like right now, my life is awesome. I gotta be honest with you, you take yeah. running away and I still love my life. It's incredible. Um, and I'm, I don't take that for granted at all. But to know that when things do get rough, that, that I can keep going. I guess I'm just curious to see what my reaction will be on the 29th. Yeah. So, what do you, so what would be, what would be a, a perfect Twisted Branch experience for you? I want to feel good until like mile 40. <laughs> and um, <laughs> good meaning like my brain is intact and you know things are fine yep. um i guess i'd love to get to the point i don't i see i feel like i can't even talk about this because i i've never even done a 50 miler i don't yeah. i don't know i don't know what it'll be like i like to think that i'll have something left in me at the end but i'm pretty sure that's not going to happen you know especially if i'm running right um perfect twisted branch experience I want to not curl up and fall asleep on the trail. You know, I'm, I do. I'm not ruling out a nap, but, <laughs> but I would really prefer, yeah. I'd really prefer to stay awake and lucid through the whole thing. Yeah. Yeah. I've, you know, last weekend was really fun for me running with all of you guys because I haven't really connected with any of the running community here and hope no one's offended by that. Again, I was surprised <laughs> that people even like talk about me or care about what I'm doing. That surprises me. Um, because I really am impressed with the community. I think it's amazing. And the fact that you guys you know, can train together, that we could, we could train together last weekend was huge for me. Yeah, and I, that's, that's part of what I think my Twisted Branch experience will be is, you know, Scott has put three years of his life into putting this race together. Mm -hmm. There's a, a whole bunch of people coming from Rochester to volunteer, right. to, to, to run the race to even just be there to observe. I mean, it is really about a community type of feeling. And that's that's what I really hope to see is, yeah. this is gonna be hard, right. but it's going to be something hard that we're doing with our friends. It's right. gonna be hard um, physically, but it, it should feel, I don't know, mentally. It, when I run with the group of runners that we have in Rochester, Mentally, it's a little bit easier yeah. um, to know that we're going through it together. Yeah. If that makes sense. It does. It does. And it makes me really glad that I kind of hopped in and joined you guys a little bit toward the end of yeah. the season, I know. But um, I kind of feel like I have a group of people who I'm going into this with, not right. against. Like, I'm really not out there to beat anyone. Right. I want to. And some of us do want to race the best we can. Yeah, and, I do too. And sometimes we define that by we almost raced faster than that person right like right. so for me there are people that I would like to 
right. finish before, yes. simply so that <laughs> simply so that I'm at the finish line clapping for them when they come across. Sure. Right. That's that's what it's about. <laughs> I want to be see. there. Yeah, I want to yeah. be there to see them finish. Okay. <laughs> yeah. Um, so we're four weeks away at yeah. this point. Um, your last big week of training coming up, or did you just have your last big? What What I'm are you? I'm not really sure. I get my workouts um, on Sunday or Monday, and then I yeah. just do them for that right. week, and then I find out what's what's next because it really don't, is based on how I'm feeling. Right. Don't look too far ahead. And it's been like this since March or mm-hmm. the end of February, whenever we started. And I originally thought that I wanted like a calendar that showed me exactly you know what my runs would be, but this has worked out really well for me because I don't get too intimidated or worked up about anything. You know, I know my basic like Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, what the runs will be, but they shift a little bit and the weekends shift. Um, I've mostly run, I've primarily run for time, not distance at all. So it would be like, you know, a few hours on Saturday, a few hours on Sunday. If Saturday feels better than Sunday, move the hours around. That's fine. It's just about getting the time in, which has worked really, really well for me mm-hmm. um, because I have a Timex, not a GPS watch. So. Yeah, there you go. It's <laughs> it would helpful. be really difficult to track the miles. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Unless you got, uh, you know, a little rolling wheel you take with you. <laughs> yeah. Tick off the feet. Exactly. Well, okay. So you don't really have... Um, uh, an outline for like you know your time, your position, or anything. you're not really racing. You're trying to do the best that you can, but you have sort of an uh, alternate goal as well, right? Um, you're raising money for MS. I am, yeah. So this kind of I was waiting until I got to the point where I knew I'd make it to the starting line <laughs> before right. I put this out there. Uh, but yeah, I'm trying to raise some money for the National Multiple Sclerosis Society at the same time. Um, if anyone finds me on Facebook, they can find that on my page. It kind of explains why. But I worked for them for a while, and multiple sclerosis is a disease that essentially just takes away your ability to move, right? So um, working there, working with people who have MS, and just imagining, and sometimes it can be as, as extreme as you wake up and suddenly something just doesn't work right. Like it doesn't necessarily have to be a progression. So there are many faces of MS. It can come, it can go. You can not be able to see one day. You can be able to see the next day. You can not be able to walk one day. You can be able to walk the next day. And there is no known cause for it, and there's no cure for it right now. Um, and it just became really, as someone who values my mobility so much, it's something I cannot imagine. I just cannot imagine if it was taken away from me. That would be... I, you know, I just, I can't imagine. Right. So, yeah. so yeah, I try to, I try to use things like this. Um, I say that like I've done it before. I haven't, but this to me is a direct tie in to fundraising for the MS society. This is, the, I'm going to go out there and I'm going to move and my body is going to be able to do it for all, all day. And it, I'm going to ask it to do more and it's going to do more because I've, I've asked it to, I've trained it to, but there are people who are going to wake up and ask their body, their legs to get out of bed and they're just not going to do it. So I want to raise awareness. I think a lot of people don't know about multiple sclerosis. I didn't know about it when I started working there five years ago. Um, so I want to raise awareness. Would love to raise some funds. I'm trying to raise, raise $2,000. So if you're interested in donating, please mm-hmm. do. But I just want to go back really quick. I would love to race. You know, I would love to beat some people. I'm not saying I'm like just out there to have fun. I want to do the best that I can. And when it comes down to it, I will be competitive if, if I'm able to. So, yeah. yeah. Well, there you go. <laughs> I mean, 
Bam. That's that. Kendra um, Chamberlain declares that she will win <laughs> Twisted Branch. No, I <laughs> declare that I will do the best that I can, and you know, I, winning yeah. is fun. Yeah. Yeah. Cool. You did it. That's that. That's it. Yeah. All I right. mean, unless you want to talk about what you're going to do next, no, but I don't for know, me, I'm going to so. sleep for like all of September. Yeah. Yeah. So. Yeah. yeah. I have no plans beyond this. <laughs> As Kendra said, uh, we do it because we can, or just because we feel the need to do it. It it doesn't have to be more complicated than that, I guess. Um, as Kendra mentioned, she is raising money for the MS Society, and um, I will definitely have a, a link in the show notes. Please go check that out if that's something that interests you. It's definitely for a good cause, and the girl's going to be out there running all day for it. So that's pretty cool as well. As she said, she'll ask your body to do more, and it will. And now we're going to hear from Davin Askvig, which um, some of you may be familiar with his name. Um, at the very tippity top of the results lists from numerous races, and uh, I could recap the guy's entire year, um, but we're going to do that in this podcast, and then we're going to talk about what Twisted Branch means to Davin. And um, when we started the podcast, like most runners, Davin didn't think he was going to have much to share. And um, we found out that we have uh, quite a bit to share. So this is a um, pretty engaging and entertaining interview for me. But ideally, it also translates to an engaging and entertaining interview for you as well. So let's give it a listen. Maybe we just start with 2015 and just talk about what your year has been like. And that would be a good place because I've already done a lot of racing this year. So to go back prior to 2015, yeah. um, even though it would be easy to do it, uh, I've done so much racing this year. There's a lot of a lot of territory to cover just there. Yeah, and I mean, we can even just grab some of the highlights. We could start, you know. I, I think that's a good place, and then we'll talk about how Twisted Branch uh, fits in. Yeah, that sounds great. All right, cool. Um, so you did, um, I guess, with a little bit about you. Um, you're from Amherst, right? Or you're from Rochester and you're now in Amherst? Yeah, it's, it's a long story. I grew up kind of all over the country. Um, we lived in My family lived in two different places in Texas and lived for a short period in Missouri. My parents are both from Iowa. They're both Iowa farm children. And when I was going into seventh grade, my parents moved to Rochester from Amarillo, Texas. So I've always had this great challenge talking about where I'm from because there's no one clear place that I can point to and say, oh, that's home. And it gets more muddled with having gone to college in Pennsylvania and then graduate school in New Jersey and Massachusetts. But when I started my employed life, um, moved to Western New York, moved to the Buffalo area, and settled in Amherst. So you're you're worldly, is? Uh... <laughs> well, I I don't know about worldly, but I'm something. <laughs> well, that, I mean, it, it's interesting to you know to come from, uh, you know, for some people, Rochester is the only place that they they know. You know, I mean. There's that saying that um, most people, I don't know the percentage, but die within 100 miles of where they were born. 
And um, for to have such a varied experience by the time you are, you know, say 25, that's that's um, had to have some benefits in some way. Yeah. And I think that my my parents helped promote that wherever life would lead. I have two older brothers as well who now live in the Washington, D.C. area. So wherever life would lead, that we should follow what that path is. And so they never had um, a sense that we would set our roots down wherever they were um, or wherever we had already lived, but rather we would find our own way. And certainly my brothers and I have all defined that way uniquely. That's very cool. And yours, your way seems to be at least in one part, um, a lot of running, a lot of really far running. It, it has turned into that. This is certainly not what I would have expected when I got back into running. I ran in high school, but left running behind for a dozen years or so and returned to it when I was 29 or 30. Um, and so it's been an interesting journey over the last eight years to where I'm at now from that time that I re-entered the running scene to the kind of distances and the number of races that I'm doing in a year, uh, currently. Yeah. And so I guess, uh, we, we did talk about, we'll, we'll maybe just start at 2015. You, uh, started off the year with a, uh, course record at, at Beast of Burden, right? In the 50 miler. I did. Yeah. I, I came out of 2014 and had intentions of running JFK for a second time. I had run that in um, 2013 and so was returning in 2014 to run that again and was in excellent shape. Unfortunately, Buffalo was hit with this unique storm snow phenomenon and 96 inches of snow was was dumped on a particular area of Buffalo and that left me unable to participate in that race. And so I had all of this great training and tried to figure out what I could do with it. But late November and into December doesn't offer a lot of opportunities in the Northeast for running. So I just kind of maintained where I was at and come January the weather was such that I decided to give the beast a stab and um, just ran a, a really solid race um, on a relatively good, all things considered, weather day. It was cold. It was winter. It was western New York. But I pulled down a, a sub-six-hour 50-mile of 551, and I was very pleased with the results. So that's how 2015 started. So it was a really great start. I was surprised by the finish, but I was pretty sure that I was in that kind of shape um, and glad to see that I could produce that kind of result. I love, I love the phrasing you used there. Give the beast a stab. That, that was, you sure as heck did give it a stab. Uh, a course record is a, is a nice stab. It is. It is a nice stab. And um, I had the summer course record there already. So it was sort of doubling up with the summer and a winter um, both. But um, it's, it's a, it's a, Difficult race in some ways to break apart because it's so monotonous, and, and that's good in one respect. You can't lose the trail. You know what to expect. There's a lot of interaction with fellow racers, but it's flat canal path, um, and you can see for miles, and so it can be, it can be psychologically very difficult to break that apart versus a, a trail run where 
you're spending so much time concentrating on the trail and its twists and turns and hills that um, you don't necessarily think about the miles and miles that you're seeing before you. Um, yeah, and, the, you know, it's like it's four 12-and-a-half-mile races, right? Like run run straight down to the aid station, turn around, run back. And and that's it's interesting because, uh, you know, to contrast that a little bit with the Rochester Marathon, right? Um, up until this year, there was 16-and-a-half miles of that on the canal path. Right. And some people like it and some people didn't like it. Um, now, you have a previous history having won the Rochester Marathon as well. Um, what were your thoughts on that, the, the canal portion or and overall the Rochester Marathon course? Um, I've run Rochester, I think, three times. I'd have to look back, but three or four times. It might even be more than that. And the canal section was always a section that just lingered for a long time. Having, you know, come of age in Rochester, I always thought that there was a lot more of Rochester to see and couldn't figure out why they spent so much time on the canal path where you really didn't see Rochester. And I think that the effort now in the redesign of the course is trying to do that, um, but it's made a double loop course as opposed to a, to unique courses for the half marathon and marathon with a common finish. So I liked that the marathon route was its own unique route, um, but always thought that they, it could have been done in a way that more of the city of Rochester could, could have been se seen as part of that experiences, experience, which is what most big city marathons try to do is try to highlight the city a little more. Yeah, my it's odd, but my favorite parts are um, running down East Ave, which is definitely a highlight of the city, and then coming back up through Genesee Valley Park and into downtown. Right into Cornhill downtown and finishing yeah. the stadium is a, you know, you kind of leave the city and you spend the majority of the race outside of the city before you come back to it. And I agree with you. Those, those are my favorite parts and they happen at the very beginning and the very end. So I think that they, they are trying to answer that by, um, redoing the course and I am running it again this year. So I'll be interested to see my perspective on comparing the two courses. Um, but we'll see. I, I'm just, I'm not sold on the double loop format. Yeah, that it, you know, that's interesting. As the um, you think about the half marathoners who are are going at a considerably different speed um, when you are coming through the finish line, you know that. So it, you know, like you said, it'll be it'll be interesting. It, it it does go through some better parts of the city though. So it in, in that regards, you know, that that'll be something. Um, it, it's just interesting to me because you did you you have course records on exclusively canal races but you're also pretty darn good at um <laughs> the exact opposite of a canal race which uh like the north face endurance challenge right you ran you ran uh that at bear mountain this year as well right yeah i, I made a shift in may i guess it was from road which i'll just kind of lump canal path in with road but from roads and marathons, I did a marathon in March down in D.C. and then um, Boston in April. And in, in May, I shifted pretty much exclusively over to trail and did 
two trail marathons in May, um, and I've pretty much been on the trails since. And usually at some point I kind of make that pivot in my year. And I seem to be I, I seem to be blessed in some ways to to be able on any surface to to do okay for myself and um, Oil Creek last year in 2014. Um, that's nearly all trail, very technical stuff, and and um, I had a great time on that, and really enjoy getting out in that way to places that you can only see if you're going to go on your own two feet. So, uh, so yeah, I made that pivot and that shift in relative short order, and uh, did okay for myself, not having had a ton of time before Bear Mountain to get out on trail and really sort of get those those synapses firing. But by the time Cayuga rolled around, I was feeling much more at home on the trail comparatively to Bear Mountain. Bear Mountain also ended up being more technical than I had uh, thought it would be. It's a far rockier course. Um, and so the technicality of it was just, just a little more challenging than I had assumed it was going to be. Yeah. And that, that interests me in a sense of like kind of a, from my perspective, a, a nice low, slow burn 50 miler. Um, but you managed uh, eight, eight, uh, just over eight hours with that one. And so uh, I'm, I'm guessing it, those rocks didn't slow you down too much. They, they didn't. And there was those kind of races bring out, especially when there's that kind of cash money that can be won some, some depth to, to who's running uh, and who's present. And um, that kind of depth, I think, encourages the speed as well as you try to uh, run with those, that level of talent and, and you jockey for position throughout the race. Um, it seemed like by the time we ran through, oh, about the 50K mark, more or less, the finishing positions, at least in the top 10, had somewhat been settled. But there was a lot of early uh, miles, people that went out real hard, real fast, um, that were unable to keep up. The day got very hot for early May. Um, a lot of direct sun was out there. So I think there was quite a few people that, that ended up also, you know, getting behind on their hydration and, and electrolytes. Um, Mike Weldon was there to, to crew me. And I know when I saw him uh, at one point came out and I had taken a couple small tumbles, which is certainly not an unknown variable for any of us who run the trails and had some, a little bit of blood on a knuckle and, and he said nobody had come out of the woods at that point that wasn't bloodied in some way. So in some ways that was a boost of confidence of all of us are going through similar things and, and, uh, it's a challenging trail. And so it, it does take its toll. And, um, someday I always envision being able to partake of these races in a different way. But at this point, it seems as though the competitive fire within me always, surges as soon as as soon as the race begins and and uh, i go as hard as i'm capable of doing at that time and i you know and so i guess when you say partake of it in a different way um it's it's interesting to read your race reports because in those most of the time what you're talking about is you're not you're not talking about I knew I had to stay on this guy's shoulder and then make my move as soon as i you're not you're not talking about those things you are sort of talking about enjoying the experience, taking in the day, 
you just happen to be able to run really fast while you do it. I think that most of us who, who participate, whether you're in the front, middle, or back, are out there for some purpose of self-discovery and involvement in a community that's very different than the marathon and half marathon road community. Nothing against it. It has a place and a value as well. Um, but in general, the ultra community tends to be very low key and very and, and much more about the experience of being out there. Uh, and I really do admire the people that in a 50 mile race, they're taking 12 hours plus to do it. Or in a 100 mile race, they're taking 30 hours to do it. I can't imagine taking that long. Uh, and I have just the utmost admiration for that. And they're out there for the experience just to see when the cards are down, can they still manage to finish? And I think that's what we're all really trying to answer. Some of us are trying to answer how fast we can do it. Um, but in general, every one of these events is a test of self. Can I manage to finish? And then the question becomes, can I finish well? Can I finish fast? Can I finish you know, in a record time? Can I finish in a PR, um, or whatever it might be, sub 24 hours and a hundred miles. So I think we're all searching for the same things. And I know that the race reports that appeal to me are those that are written in a way that highlight the experience rather than the individual. And again, that's something that I think is part of the ultra running community is centered much more on the experience than the individual. We're out there to participate in a community and and not not just out there for our own edification. Yeah, and and I I completely agree with that. I think there's, you know, you you hear stories of even some of the the top you know pro ultra runners, um, and, and obviously everybody knows Jurek's story of staying at Western States until the last finisher finished, and that's not a gimmick. You know, that's that's a part of the thing. I mean. When we just had the Mighty Mosquito Relay, uh, and there, you know, some people were trying to run 99 miles in Menden Ponds, and there were people there all night to support them, people that then went home because they had obligations or whatever. They came back early Sunday morning to cheer the people on as they tried to finish their last loop or, you know, to congratulate somebody on going 24 hours. It, it kind of is a big deal, you know, um, individual efforts within the community. You know, I think that's really the way it goes. Like, did you try your best? Did you have the best time that you could? Did you enjoy it? Well, then congratulations. Yeah, I think we all celebrate each other's victories. And so there's been plenty of people that have said wonderful things to me uh, when I performed well as far as their experience of seeing me out there and um, their desire to be able to run to run like that. And I equally toss it back and say, you know, I'm, I'm just in as much awe of you for being out there and participating with me and, um, you know, not quitting but seeing it through. And I think our performances are of equal value. One is not superior to the other, but rather it's very egalitarian. And I guess that's why I have a hard time stopping myself from participating as frequently as I seem to um, in ultras is, is its egalitarian nature, which again is very different than, especially if you're a, a front of the pack runner, um, from the, the road scene, which is very cutthroat and, and very competitive. And, you know, there's a time and place for that. And again, I'm not trying to put that down, but it's just, 
it doesn't have the same vibe to it as you tend to get, I think, in trail races and particularly in trail ultra races. Yeah, and and so that, you know, um, transitioning, that sort of brings us to Cayuga, right? Um, if, if there is ever a trail ultra that sort of emphasizes that ideal of highly competitive, close-knit community, well-run race, everybody trying to succeed. I, I, I had my first Cayuga experience this year and I was absolutely, uh, I was floored by so the, the whole day. I, I just can't even, I tried to parse it. I tried to write up a weekend and, and my words just get jumbled every time. Yeah. It's, it's hard, um, to process through things. Cayuga has been on my bucket list for, I guess this is the third year. And I finally managed to, to knock it off, but I've been injured the past two years in the late spring, and that has prevented me from running at Cayuga. And finally, this year, I arrived without injury and so could run it. And the question became for me how well I could run it if I had raced too frequently through the spring, if I really was showing up as my best self. And, and I try to approach every race just to let it unfold. It's going to unfold and never go into it thinking I'm going to win or anything like that, but just let the race unfold as the experience unfolds. And being the uh, USA Track and Field 50-mile trail championship, again, it brought out a lot of top-tier uh, competition, a lot of top-tier runners. And so there was a lot, of, a lot of folks that went out really fast in that race, and I kind of expected it. And I just tried to settle my mind back and run my own race and a lot of those people that went out and hammered early well they came back to me later in the race as well but it was it was a, a great race great scenery it's well run um you know if it's not going straight up it seems to be going straight down but there's a ton of runnable portions to it and the stairs are the stairs and you manage them as you do and it just you know it was a it was, it was a really interesting, different kind of race as far as a trail race because of the stairs that were involved. But the way that the different parks were woven together, um, I was glad to finally be able to participate in it. I was pleased with my results given um, the week that I had had prior to that race and sort of the lack of focus that I went into it with. I, it still managed to be a really good race for me. Um, great people there. You know, the, the folks who, who finished in, in the first, second, third, they were hanging around. They were nice guys. Um, it just, it's, like I said before, it's just a great community, and, and I'm, I feel really blessed to just be a part of it. And so we, we managed uh, to have our own little gathering the day before there because we were there all as part of Laura's crew, and, um, you know, I conveniently the way the course is again like you said woven together um we had a lot of opportunities to to see you um which was really actually kind of neat to get to see the the front of the pack running you know through that course um one of the things i wanted to to ask quickly you did manage uh you did mention running a bit much in the spring and um north face uh was May 2nd and Cayuga is May 31st. And so that's, you know, it's 29 days between 50 milers. Um, what does that, what does that look like for you? Well, uh, at this point, 
it's just been about the kind of frequency that I've raced with. I'm not sure that after this year I'll race with the same frequency. Um, I, I didn't feel as though my body was beat up still from Bear Mountain. Bear Mountain took a little bit for some of my connective tissue to to get back in shape with because there was so much rock on um, on Bear Mountain. It's just my ankles and the bottoms of my feet kind of kind of took a beating from it. Um, but I showed up at Cayuga and, and felt pretty good about my result. I think, you know, had it been a really ideal day, had I really been firing on all my cylinders, I might have performed a little better than I did, but I'm not disappointed with my performance. And, you know, those days are fleeting and far between, and you never know when they're going to come. So, um, Someday I might return to Cayuga Trails with a more focused approach to it without a 50-mile race, it, it, you know, four weeks prior, just to, to see uh, what I'm capable of. But um, I'm pretty pleased with it and glad I could check it off my bucket list. And there's so many races out there that look so interesting. It's hard to revisit the same ones over and over again. And yet I seem to, to do that, if only for the knowledge of the course and and the love of the community that you find there. And certainly in this upstate New York uh, area, I know the community well. I know the people that I that I see, and, and we all chit-chat with each other as we show up to the races. So that's hard to walk away from just to go somewhere else for some other race. So I always try to maintain some of these and, and have a hard time saying no when a race director says, hey, will you come run my race? Um, if they offer and, you know, I don't have to pay, you know, I'll definitely show up somewhere. Yeah. Some, someday somebody's going to offer to, to at, they're going to ask me to run their race and, and, and I'll still pay even if they ask, you know? Yeah. Well, <laughs> that's the deal is I feel blessed for the most part, um, to, to have a lot of races offered to me or mm -hmm. I ask, Hey, I want to run your race. Would you be willing to uh to offer me entry into your race and i'll i'll uh talk it up and and write about it when when i'm done with it as well and you can use my publicity however you want mm -hmm. um but i'd pay for any of this stuff i don't do these races just just because some of them are offered to me in a comped way um, i'd gladly pay for that experience as well yep and and i think i think you know that's how it starts right like you you know you don't just start getting into the community for free, but I think what's what's interesting that that you had said was um, a race director calls you up and says, "Will you run my race?" And um, there there's one thing to that, right? It, you know, to um, to demonstrate that highly competitive runners are coming to this race. And is when did did are you comfortable with that feeling? And how did you start to get comfortable with that feeling of a race director saying, Hey, you're the one that's going to draw the attention to my race. I don't know if you ever get comfortable with that because any race can go terribly wrong. And then I feel like I'm letting down the race director as well. I've been, I've been lucky. I only have, uh, let's see, two DNFs to my name, both of which I'll revisit at some point just to correct but otherwise, I've always finished the races that I've started. And of those that I've finished, I've managed to perform very, very well. Ian at, with Cayuga Trails, when he put the race together, he, he was very intentional in wanting the best 
racers that he was aware of in upstate New York be part of this race. He really wanted to create a top caliber race. And, and I think that he knew the way to do that was to ask the talent that he knew was around. And I think Ian really knows there's a lot of great talent in our area, but this is not an area that is typically highlighted in the press, however limited that might be, but the ultra running press as a bastion of ultra running, most of that is out West. And so I think he really wanted to help highlight that there is a depth to the, to, uh, to the talent that's here. And he wanted to see, I think also how his course measured up for those that are fast runners, you know, just how hard was the course? What are the winning times like compared to, to other courses? Does it show that it, it really holds the difficulty that, that he saw there? Um, but it's nothing that you ever get comfortable with because, you know, we're all going to get older and yeah, we might be a, a faster, older guy, but eventually there's going to be people that, um, you know, we're not going to be able to run the times that we once did. And there's going to be people that are walking all over us and, and that's going to be a bitter pill to, to swallow. And I certainly, the 50 milers, the competitive ones, in some ways, there's still, still a lot of, a lot of older guys. I say that loosely. I'm 38 years old. There's still a lot of us in our, in our thirties and their forties um, and on up who are very competitive, but more and more, a lot of the talent in the 50 milers is in their twenties. These are just guys who are just capable of, you know, running in a different level or a different speed. Um, that while there is some of that that's poured over into the hundred milers, it's far more equalized it seems to me when you get into the hundred Ks and the hundred milers, and I don't know if that's because it's more mental. And so those of us that have simply walked this earth longer have a different capacity to break down the mental side of it um, or, or why that is. But in the 50 milers, so, you know, the talent is getting younger and faster. And so to, to stay with them, uh, is proving challenging. And again, I've been fairly lucky to be able to run, to run in the front and to be able to run with some of these folks. Well, and in a sense, um, I, I have so many thoughts on this. This is one of the things I think about being, being 37 next week. Um, there's, there's a thing to like fresh legs, but a lot of experience, you know, and, and you had mentioned you got back into running you know, and so I, I think it, it's fair to say that you've been competitive at this level for about six, eight years. I think that's about right. I'd have to look back yeah. at what I did my first marathon. But essentially, right. I finished my first marathon and, and thought to myself, and this was just before I think Born to Run came out, which we all read it. But it was just before that, and I had heard of these things called ultra races, but they were still fairly unknown and ethereal. Um, but I had heard of them and I finished the marathon and just thought, I, I wonder what I'm capable of doing. And that was related to distance more than speed. In the, in the very next year, I ran my first Can Lake uh, 50 miler. Um, so it really unfolded from that first marathon, just trying to discover exactly where, where the limit was, which I guess perhaps I'm still trying to figure out exactly where that limit is. Well, there's this there's this new rash of 200 milers popping up all over the place, but um, you know maybe master the hundred miler first. Yeah, it's you know 
I can only imagine trying to break apart a 200 miler. I think it would be interesting to take on. It, it just, the kind of strategy that it would take is so different even than a 100 miler. Um, and it is more about survival in some ways um, over that distance is who has the capacity to simply survive better for that long. But uh, it's not something I'm particularly inclined to see yet. It doesn't mean that someday it won't come knocking on my door as something that I have to, to, uh, to take on, but I'm not feeling that pull as of yet. Well, as, as you say, right, take, take life as it develops. That's right. And um, so, I, you know, the other thought that I had on this idea of these young, fast 50 milers is it, it's sort of that, you know, the base building and the endurance necessary. Um, you know, I, I know from, and, and I always talk about the smaller distances because they, they do translate in a way, right? You can sort of stumble out your door and run a half marathon if you've run some before. Um, you can kind of get away with maybe uh, not prepared enough for a marathon and still survive. But, you know, if if you can run a 50-miler in under eight hours, great. You know, your your body's going to be okay. But a 100-miler, you're in it for, for a long haul if you're not prepared. You know, and so maybe that's where those fast kids kind of draw the line is get a 50-miler done in under eight hours. It could be. It could be that that really is sort of at the at the upper end of their limit. My, my brother's a great example, my oldest brother, um, and I, I can't wait to tell him to listen to this so that he can hear about himself just because it's salt in, in his own wound. But he's somebody that annually every March when I go down there and run the marathon in D.C. with no training will go run the half marathon, and he can get through it fine. And a couple of years back, he ran the Marine Corps marathon on very little training, and it took him uh, almost six hours. I think it was five hours and 47 minutes or five hours and 41 minutes. And I've told him that my, my aim right now is to run a 50-mile race in that time, just because he's my older brother and, you know, I have to stick it to him when I can. Um, the thing is, is the enjoyment of it was so bad for him. It was such a bad experience. Uh, and it really was just trying to survive that. And I think for those that are unprepared for, from distances beyond that, especially as you get to 100 miles, um, if they're really not ready for it, it becomes such a bad experience that to revisit it is something they can't imagine. Whereas then you have other people that have a very different experiences, even, even when it has been hard, even when um, you know, you've, you've suffered through blisters or hot weather or whatever it might be, when you reach the finish line, it doesn't take long before you start exploring other opportunities to do it again. And that, that just, that speaks to being prepared enough to accomplish the task before you. Um, I think the other thing about these young guys is these are guys that ran through high school, ran through college, and are running now in their 20s. And I think that their burnout is higher. I think they hit you know, their later 20s into their 30s, early 30s, and, and they're just burned out. Um, and I think those of us that, whether we leave running behind and return to it or whether we discover it later, we have more longevity in the sport. And I think it's because 
we weren't involved consistently for so long at that level uh, that that these younger guys have been, where they ran all the way through college, some of them in Division One, and they've just been hammering on their body for that for that long. If you look at somebody like Rob Carr who did that and walked away from running for a number of years, I think you almost have to do that because your body is just so punished by the experience. And look at him now; he's doing incredible things. Yeah, and that, that's sort of what I, I was thinking about with the young legs, right? Like there's not a lot of miles on them and they're not, they haven't been ground up at like a division one school where the coach's job is to win championships, you know, like not to produce lifelong runners, you know, that kind of thing. Right. Um, and and so I, I'm happy with the way that I've sort of, eased my way back in like slid off the couch and into a pair of running shoes and i i feel like um i feel like there are a lot of years ahead because i haven't ground things down um one of the other things you mentioned was um the enjoyment of the experience and um and you know in working with mike weldon you know it's funny because we talk um obviously we run a lot together and we talk a lot together and um, we had run uh, the first half of the Twisted Branch, uh, second half of the Twisted Branch course. And he goes, well, if you finish that, that, that means you could finish Twisted Branch. Um, now all the rest of the training is just about how good you're going to feel at the end of it. Yeah. You know, and, and so I've, I've always kind of kept that in mind is, you know, all no no matter how you know i've i've been having this motto since i signed up in december of every step twisted and it's no matter how hard the training that i'm doing is it's all going to pay off in making each step through twisted branch a little bit easier i had this philosophy when i ran uh oil creek last year and that philosophy and that was my first hundred miler and i managed to succeed uh well in that race um, um wait a minute let's let's pause succeed well you won that race i i leaned at the tape and won by a little over two hours so yeah i did i did all right for myself um but my philosophy going into it was if i feel like i'm running hard i'm running too hard and that's just that sense of the number of miles that you have in front of you you've done the training but there is there is sort of the patience that you need to have to let the race unfold uh, and as Mike said, you know, it's, you'll finish. It's a matter of how much you're going to hurt when you finish or how fast you're going to finish. The training's there. You know, you have, um, you have a sense of what the course looks like. So, you know, kind of what to expect as far as the hills go on it and the technicality of the trail. And now it's just kind of putting down the rest of the miles, the rest of the training to let the experience be what it'll be. But that philosophy has, carried me well especially in races over 50 miles is to to really be patient with how the race unfolds knowing that the hurt is going to come at some point um, but if you can be smart about the race itself uh, it's not going to hurt as badly as it could yeah the the lows will be there but you don't you don't want to dig them intentionally yeah i have a, a good friend 64 he's been in this ultra scene for a long time and he talks about how the demons come to us all, um, you know, and it's how we how we interact with those with our personal demons in those moments. But in those dark places, our demons come. And Mike had uh, at Burning River here in July. 
I went through, I don't remember what aid station it was, um, but I saw Mike's crew and I said, don't let Mike get in his head because I kind of know where Mike can go. And the thing is, we all have demons. It's a matter of when we're going to wrestle them on the course and whether we'll succumb to their invitation to, to quit, to walk, to slow down, to complain about everything we can complain about. Uh, but we're, we're kind of our own worst enemies. And again, that's something I kind of love about ultra running is, yeah, there's competition out there, but really the biggest competition is our own selves. It's, it's what we want to do when we're out there, not so much running on somebody's shoulder or something else. Yeah, I, I agree. I, I, um, I, I had the opportunity to talk with Dina Castor last year for a little while, and she always talked about, you know, people tell you to stay positive, but it's it's not about staying positive. It's about how quickly you can stop being negative, and because everybody's going to get hit with the negativity bug, or they're going to go into a dark place. It's how can you pull yourself out of that? If you try to fight off that darkness, it, you're not going to succeed. So you have to figure out how to cope with it. Right. Yeah. Laura was pacing me at at Birming River. She came paced me for about twenty miles from mile seventy to mile 91 and um she took off with me and you know sort of was trying to to chit chat a little bit with me as chatty as she is and um she asked you know how are you doing and i said well everything hurts and she said hurts how are you okay you know and i said 70 miles into any race everything hurts and then i started to joke around and say well my pinky fingers feel okay and you know that's again how do you get yourself out of the dark place how do you recognize that not everything hurts, and, and maybe you can just focus on those things that are still going well. So I wasn't descending real good, but, but I was going uphills. I was ascending great. So uh, not you know don't focus on the negative, but find those things that you're still doing okay with to, um, to push off the demons to get out of those dark places. Yeah. And, uh, you know, so it's interesting to think of that. Like, it doesn't hurt here, and it doesn't hurt here. And I'm capable of doing this. So let's emphasize those and move forward. Right, right. Um, and so, you know, we've mentioned Twisted Branch um, a bunch, and I, I'd like to make sure that um, I, I want to I get your thoughts on that because uh, it's going to be my first 100K, so I'd like to spend about four hours on that with you. But um, <laughs> first, uh, just on your way to Twisted Branch, you decided to go knock off the Beast of Burden 25-miler. Yeah, that was kind of a last-minute thing, uh, and I wasn't sure it was the smartest idea, but I was in for a long run anyway, and it's in my backyard. Uh, it starts at 10 a.m., so I didn't even have to wake up early for it. And talk about a lack of race preparedness. I mean, I arrived at the start line about 10 minutes before the race and uh, poured some water in a handheld and stuck a gel in my back pocket and just kind of went for it. Um and thankfully, I was smart enough not to say, hey, I'll go out here and hammer 50 miles. But I just said, look, I, I, can, I can do 25 today. That's realistic. So, I, you know, two weeks after a 100-miler 100, 100 to pull down a, a sub-three-hour, 25-mile run, I, you know, I was, I was tickled with that. Went back later, paced, paced somebody through some late miles. Um, but again, it's just part of being part of this community. And so it's happy to be out there, happy to be at a race near where I live and, and able to, able to, 
enjoy the course with some other folks. And again, I was trying to sort of discern, is this, is this unwise given the race calendar that I have in front of me, but I was due for that kind of run anyway. And when you're looking at threshold runs, well, nothing mimics a threshold run like a race. So, so that was a good threshold run, I guess. So were you, you were really due for a 25 mile run two weeks after a winning a hundred miler at burning river. That was, that was really on your training schedule. I'm not sure that was really on my training schedule. But it's just, <laughs> Why not? Um, so, yeah, right. I think it's really more whimsical in the sense of a why not. Yeah, it's in your backyard. I and I and I apologize. I totally didn't mean to gloss over Burning River. Um, I had I had just we could do a whole show just on that. And and that's what I was thinking. I was I had read your race report on Burning River, and I had just talked with um, Mike and Jamie about um, their experience and and Mike's first hundred miler. And so all of that's in my head. And and for some reason, I just I just glossed right past the oh, fact have- the fact that you won it. I, I did, yeah. This one was not a lean at the tape by two hours, but a lean at the tape of about two minutes. So simply uh, that you know, and Jason Vidmar had broke that down. That's the equivalent of running, a, winning a five k by two seconds. Yeah, yeah. It was it was much closer than I had um, presumed it would be, based on kind of the feedback that I had had on some of the later aid stations, um, but. Thankfully, managed to hold on for the win, and and uh, I had no intentions of leading the darn thing from beginning to end. That's usually not a smart philosophy with long races like that, but that's how it unfolded. And uh, and we'll have to talk about that another time. There was Mister Confused who joined me for the first ten miles, and I was not sure that I would survive his company. It was um, intriguing enough, but I think a good show would be, maybe be to have my dad and I on together because he is. He is my crew. He is my nutritional guru. And um, so the way that he would break down a race along with me, the one running it, might be an interesting show in and of itself. I, w- I would absolutely love that. Let's uh, let's book that. <laughs> we'll talk later. Yeah. Um, because I, I think the other part that's interesting is to, and, and we'll make sure that in, in the show notes for this and on the webpage, we'll put a link to, to your race report for these and, we'll make sure to highlight the Burning River one because I think there's a great dynamic that happened there. You talk about the community again with um, Mike Weldon and Jamie and yourself and Laura and Matt Bertrand and Jeff Green and how, how everybody pulls together, you know, and and your dad, like, being kind of this sage guy providing advice to everybody along the way. It's I love that idea that there's – there's people down there running their own race. There's people down there to watch and, and everyone's working together and, Oh, Hey, this guy's about to win. Let's go help out. You know, I think that's just, that's what we're, that's what we're there for. So. Yeah. Mike's favorite picture, which is very telling to that is it's his crew surrounding me at mile 91. Yep. (laughs) It's like, there's my whole crew and I couldn't ask for a better picture to capture the experience of that weekend and this picture of my crew with you. And after I finished, my dad went back to where Mike was. Um, and I, uh, cleaned up and caught a little bit of sleep and then, uh, went to the finish line to see Mike come in. Um, and that's just how it is. You know, that's really how we are. We all really do borrow from each other. I don't know how many times 
My dad has saved somebody with water that he had wherever he was stationed on a course for me or some other nutrition or something else or somebody asked advice or some medical question and thankfully he was there and he's gotten as much into it. I think he's the medical director for um, Twisted Branch, funny enough. Um, awesome. So he's been in this scene long enough. He knows what kind of things are seen medically at these races and so he's able to offer that experience of somebody who's been crew but also being a physician he has the medical wherewithal to to really offer intelligent answers and responses um hopefully there's no crises but to situations that arise i mean mike's feet took a terrible beating at uh burning river and uh, my dad offered um advice to him just just like he did when mike dropped a couch on his big toe right oh my goodness couple weeks before the race and was freaking out whether he'd be able to run. My dad was there to sort of tell him that it'd be okay and what to do with his, with his nail. So, yeah, um, you know, you know what to do with that foot. Just, just lop it right off. Yeah. Just, just let it go. Yeah. That thing, if, if it, if it hasn't died yet, it's, it's going to live longer than Mike. (laughs) It might. It might. So um, that brings us up to Twisted Branch, and and we didn't think we were going to have much to talk about here, but here we are, nearly nearly an hour in, and um, you're going to run Twisted Branch. I am, and it actually for me is one of kind of my true marquee races of the year. Uh, Burning River was was one that I was really focused on. Uh, Twisted Branch is another, and then my return to Oil Creek. Um, and, uh, I'll cap off the year with JFK and I'm just going to pepper in there the Rochester marathon for fun. But, um, it it is really one of my focus races. We have some of the most gorgeous trail out here and you get down into that Naples region heading down towards Hammondsport and, and you just can't get prettier than that. It is such a wonderful area of the country and of the state and, I'm elated to see that that finally races are occurring on these great sections of trail and to be able to participate in an inaugural year, especially at a distance of 100K. It's it's a great distance. I, I, I like 50-mile races. I've raced a bunch of them, um, but the 100K is a unique animal. It's still something that you can run competitively, that you, you can go out and, and – uh, lay down some pretty, you know, pretty competitive miles, some pretty fast miles, but it requires a different philosophy. I mean, it's 12 miles longer than a 50 mile run. So you have to approach it a little more delicately than you would a 50 mile run. Um, but you don't have to approach it like a hundred milers just, so it's a real fun distance to do. And the, the trail itself is a, a, a gorgeous piece of trail. It's got a, some good technicality to it. Um, some good vertical, you know, it really has everything you could want in a great trail race at a distance that there's, there's not a ton of races that are specifically hundred K only races. And so I think it's exciting to be part of that. And I can't wait to see, to see how it goes. And I, and I love that it's, it's, um, it's 102 K, you know, like it's, it's just a little extra, um, but but also there's only about five miles of road, so you're talking you're talking sixty three and a half miles, and 
um, 58 and a half of that is trail and single track in the Finger Lakes. Yeah, it's, it's real single track. I mean, this is, like I said, there are places that, that we're blessed to see as runners or as hikers or others who get out there, uh, but to be able to see it all in a day, uh, which we get to as part of an ultra, it places that, you know, we're talking 99.99% of the population never even bothers to, to go and visit it all, and we get to see it all in a day. I, I just, that that's the part of the experience that I love. And I have a, I have a friend that who's explicitly a hiker, and he's still trying to make sense out of why I do this stuff. And, and I always say, you know, the amount of territory and things I can see in the course of a day while running a hundred mile race is, you know, that's part of the reason I do it is I just get to cover so much ground and see so much stuff and it's just hard to refuse. Yeah. And, you know, I, I think that that's how Scott tells this Scott McGee, the race director tells the story of how he decided to have to put three years of his life into this race you know, he happened to hike it and, and he was like, we should totally make a race there. And everybody said, uh, that, that would be epic, but, um, that's too much work. And, and he decided to, uh, to make it happen. I have so much admiration for the way he's approached this and how he's made sure that he really is studious and attentive to doing it right so it won't just be a one-time thing so you know i, I hope it won't be a one-time thing but um that even if it is a one-time thing that it'll be something that he has done to the best of his ability with all of the right permissions and uh, you know all of that stuff you know e even searching out and having a medical director to make sure that there's somebody there that can answer those kind of questions medically that could arise or, or the kind of crises that hopefully won't but could could happen over the course of of a long race like that um you know he's he's just he's done his work and not all race directors are like that unfortunately too often race directors are kind of sloppy with how they do things and there are things that are lacking and and they do their best. Sometimes it's just things they haven't thought of. You know, conditions are unique in a given year and they weren't prepared for it. Uh, but to see the amount of due diligence that's been done prior to one step having been made on a race day. So it's not due diligence following the first race, you know, growing pains kind of due diligence. But this is the what's being done on the forefront. And and I really admire that in, in, in putting forth that kind of effort. And that's not only for the sake of the race or the runners, both of which I know he's interested in having be the best thing that he can he can do and for the sake of the runners, but it's for the trail to make sure that the trail is cared for, uh, but also experienced. Like you say, it comes out of that personal experience. I want others to see what I have seen, but I don't want the trail to be mismanaged, damaged, affected in a way that this couldn't happen again in the future, that we wouldn't be invited back um, to give others the same experience. So I really admire what he's done to put this together. Yeah, and it, and it's the, the humility and the community. Again, he's reached out to everyone 
that he knows are experts and have done things like this. And they in, in kind have responded and said, yes, sure, whatever you need, we will help. And it, it's, you know, it's his creation, it's his effort, it's his labor, and he's certainly put it in. But he's also making sure, like you said, um, I don't know anything about medical at Ultras. I just know we need it. Let me go get a pro, you know, like there's that that insight of knowing I don't know it, but somebody in the community knows it. And let me see, because I know we need it. Yeah. Yeah. And, and it's good to admit, you know, that you don't especially first time race director, which he is uh, to say, I don't I don't know all of this stuff. So who can I reach out to that can begin to to clue me in and cue me in on the kind of questions I have to get answered and the kind of questions I need to ask, um, even, you know, silly stuff, the kind of swag that runners would really want yep. in coming out here because, you know, all of us have received a swag bag where we throw away 90% of what's in it and think that's really wasteful. And some of us have gone to a race and, and come away and been really impressed by what's been included in a swag bag. Does that sell a race for me? No, but it's a really nice expression uh, to have that when you've, when you forked over the dough or when you're sweating through, through those miles. And, and I know somebody who ran Finger Lakes this year and said they finished one loop and were ready to hang it up. And they said, no, I can't do that because I really like the t-shirt and I can't wear the t-shirt if I don't finish. <laughs> and, and so that was part of her motivation to, to do the second loop and to finish it was the legitimacy of what came as part of the schwack to wear the shirt to the race that she was in. Yep, and I and I think just I, I you know I, this is the fact that it's point to point. Well, I got to get the Hammond's port, so I got to finish. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> There's this one race in the Adirondacks that I that I've thought about for several years, Wakeley Dam, and it's point to point, and even more than being point to point, there's one way in and one way out, and it's self-supported. <laughs> so. I, you know, that philosophy of, look, if you want to get back to your car, <laughs> there's only one way to do it. Uh, it. It does sort of become a compelling argument to finish. So that, that kind of adds an element of fun in some ways. Yeah. And and I think that um, to me, you know, Weldon's going to have my car. And so I got to get down in the finish and get it back. Well, and that's and that's another thing again that I just I admire him as a first time race director. A point to point course has more logistical nightmares to it than something that is looped. Mm -hmm. And point to point for a hundred plus k is a lot of miles to attend to to make sure that the runners are going to be cared for, that uh, everything is where it needs to be, that you know all of all of the towns and villages or whatever else that need to be clued in on what's going to happen are clued in on what happened. It's, you know, it's just a ton of logistics to deal with rather than on a looped course where um, runners are coming back to the same start finish, um, you know, and, and other things where there's duplication that, that, that is present in the race. So again, to do a point to point um, in mostly remote single track, like you said, very little road, present just that that's a challenge and yet one that he has taken on and i think is 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 going to be shown in the race that he's done extremely well 
Yeah, and that's the thing, right? Uh, and throughout this conversation we've had, we have not said, oh, I'm really concerned about this. Oh, I'm scared about that. Oh, how is he going to do that? Because every time he sends out a communication or you look at the website, there's information, it's it's all handled. Like he says, by the way, guys, here's something new I thought of. Um, so make sure, you know, I mean, all of that stuff or the end of the race wasn't very safe. It was a 15% grade downhill on a road. So um, they're building a new trail to make it a little bit easier to finish. You know, like he's thought of all of these things. And I just feel like um, I'm, I'm extremely confident going in knowing that the only challenge I'm going to have is going to be with myself. Right. Yeah. And, and that is, you know, good races, I think one of the reasons that we return to good races, this is true, I ran Can Lake four times, and I think the reason I did it, Tom Perry at that time was a race director, but good races are run really well, and it's hard to refuse doing them um, because you know that you're going to be cared for, and all you're going to have to worry about is running. So the challenge becomes you know, how well you run rather than having to figure out all of those other things. Uh, and I think that's going to be this kind of race. I, I think it's going to be the kind of race where all you're really going to have to worry about is running. Um, and and uh, so I think it's going to have a lot of return participants in future years based on the fact that they get to see a great trail. All they had to worry about was sort of breaking down the race and running and not having to worry about all sorts of other issues that could arise in a race if it wasn't managed well. Yep, very true. And so I've been I've been asking a lot of people that run Twisted Branch, um, what what would be if if you look and you go, man, that was a perfect experience. And I know that's hard, but um, what are the things you're looking forward to for this this race? Like, if you could just grab a couple of, I, I'm doing this race because I want to I want X. Wow. Um... This, this is not a piece of trail. While I know of the trail and I know bits and pieces of it, I don't know that it's in, in its entirety. So I think I'm looking forward most of all to see trail that I've never seen before in, somewhere that's in sort of my, my backyard. Um, so it's in my wheelhouse. So to be able to get to know that better is something I'm really looking forward to. This is also you know, that whole crew that was with Weldon uh, at Burning River. They're all running it. You're running it. You know, I know so many people there that it feels more like a, a roving party in some ways with my closest friends than a race, which again is one of the reasons that I kind of love ultra running is even at Burning River, I was shocked how many people I knew there. Um, and, and that was a good, good stretch away. Yeah, it's in Ohio. It's not terribly far, but this really will just feel like a big roving party with some of my closest running friends. Um, and, and so I'm really looking forward to, to, to that. Um, and yeah, I, I think that's about the stretch of it. Late August is a really interesting time to run because the weather can be all over the roadmap, but you can't control the weather. So, you know, it might be hot and that'll just be how it is. It may be kind of cool when we start, it could be downright cold, um, and it'll be what it'll be. And so, I think for me, it's just seeing seeing that part of the state that I know is so gorgeous and seeing trail I've never seen before and to be able to do that alongside of a lot of great runners and, and people that I just, I love spending time with anyway is probably what I'm looking forward to most. Awesome. 
Yeah, you mentioned the weather. Um, I actually had a, a dream two nights ago that somebody told me the weather forecast for Twisted Branch was on the internet. They're like, dude, they posted the weather forecast. Get out there and go look. <laughs> and I was like, I woke up and I go, I was like, I got to get to the, wait a minute. They didn't post the weather forecast. It's something that's so easy to concentrate on to kind of throw you off your game. But the deal is, we can't control the weather. Uh, and I, I ran a, I run with a club here occasionally, and they put on a, a trail race every year in August, and that was this past Monday. And it was pouring rain with, with thunder. And people were complaining, and, and I was saying, come on, when else do we get permission to go jump around in puddles? You, you know, it's all about how you approach it. It's permission to go play in the rain. Uh, you know, I signed up for it. Absolutely, I'm going to do it. So, um, whether it be rain or whether it be hot and, and sunny, whatever it is, it's going to, you know, you can't control it. So just know that the day is going to be what it's going to be and, and take it for what it's, what it is and, and enjoy it no matter, no matter the weather. So easier said than done, but, um, you know, it's out of our control. So you control the things that you can, what you can't, you just don't worry about too much. Yep, and you you have to you have to have that in your mind in order to do it. So it yeah. easier easier said than done, but you got to practice doing. You know, so right. I just, I just felt like I had I felt like one of those moments where I had some inside information and I was going to be able to be like I totally know what the weather's going to be like. That's amazing. <laughs> you know? But but alas, we're still waiting for the ten day forecast. It, yep, yep, and soon enough it will be upon us, and we'll change over that ten days, undoubtedly. <laughs> yeah, but what really is a ten day forecast, honestly? Yeah. Um, and then okay, so so I mean, I guess we just covered a hundred a hundred k race in the future, pretty pretty quickly. But I think what what you had mentioned, you know, it's a it's going to be a roving party. I I never. I've never called it that, but I mean, just in talking with Mike and Jamie just recently about Burning River, we talked so much about how meaningful it is to have people at aid stations that you know, and you know, like I'm coming up on aid four and that's where so-and-so is. And, you know, I mean, that little thing can, can yank you right out of that dark patch or can amplify the good patch you're having. And it just, it is what makes the experience. Yeah, definitely. It definitely is the case. Um, I went and, this is one of my only DNFs, but I went and ran Vermont 100 a few years ago. And I remember running through an aid station with Amy Rusecki. She wasn't Rusecki then, but, um, and she knew the people in the aid station. She's now the race director of that too, but she knew the people at the aid station and they said in their thick New England accent, hey, Amy, you want want beer and she was like oh please give me a sip and they opened up the beer and she had a couple sips of it and then went charging up the trail and it was more like you said that sense of she knew the people that was there they were telling jokes and laughing about and and knew her love of beer as well give her a few sips and that was what she needed was not so much the beer it was that interaction with with those as well i'm sure the cards and the beer didn't help didn't hurt at all um so it is really good when you can see people that you know, and it kind of peps you up. And uh, one of the challenges of running in the front is that 
your interaction with other runners is not as frequent as, as other people who kind of run in the pack. Although in ultras, we honestly, they get so spread out that everybody seems to end up running alone for large sections. And so the only interaction you get sometimes is with, with the aid station. So that really can be a real, uh, a real um, blessing when they come along in that, in that they offer that bright spot uh, when you've been alone in your own head for quite a while. Yep. Yep. And and then there's always the promise of beers and burritos at the finish, right? Yeah, well that's right. There does come this point. We all we all speculate, you know, we go into a race and say, I'm gonna finish this thing, but it's not until we reach a certain point in the race that we know we will finish. And once that point comes, then you start to think about what is awaiting you at the finish. Uh and it's always nice to know that there are there are things there awaiting many of us come with our own stash of things um, that are our reward. And so once you reach that point of knowing that you're going to make the finish and you remember the reward that you've got for yourself, it's hard not to get sort of excited and anticipate uh, running into that finish line. Yeah. My, my first Rochester marathon I ran, I actually did run with one of the, one of the pace groups and the pacer, uh, Liz Flaghart, who's an ultra runner, she was at, at like mile 18. She said, okay, everybody, start thinking because at mile 21, we're going to start having a conversation about what we're going to eat at the finish line, you know, and, and mile 21 came along and she, you know, and everybody just started rattling off what, what they were going to treat themselves to at the finish line. And, um, if, two uh two miles flew by before we circled through everyone and suddenly you're at mile 24 you know and you're like okay well <laughs> we only got two more left right yeah there is there is sort of that permission of especially in an ultra you know when i finish this thing not only at the finish line am i going to eat this but for the next three days that follows i'm i'm going to eat whatever i want and i'm going to give myself permission for to do that um so there is sort of that anticipation of, of the freedom. You know, you've done all the training. You've been good about your diet and, and uh, nutrition and things like that. And to reach the finish line, you say, great, I achieved it. Now I'm going to just enjoy myself and cut loose for a few days and not think about training and all of that other stuff that I've polluted my mind with for, for so long. But, it, it, you know, sort of revel in this moment that I'm in and the achievement that I've that I've made. And so, and so I alluded to it, but is, is it in fact your, uh, your favorite post-race celebration is beers and burritos or is it something else? Uh, I usually go for chocolate milk almost immediately. There's something about ice cream or chocolate milk that just seems to, to hit a spot with me when I finish a race. And, and that has been my sort of go-to thing. Uh, as I conclude a beer is in my near future. Uh, after I finish, and it doesn't take me long to get there. It, it depends on the race. Some races I finish, and and I have a hard time thinking about food. It just takes a while for my stomach to sort of settle um, from the race itself, I guess, uh, into into food. But burritos are an easy an easy thing to eat, and and I do enjoy them. And so if they are nearby, um, it's certainly something that. 
that I will go for. I've eaten a burrito mid-race as well. I ate a burrito during the Oil Creek uh, race, and that was, I think, the, my favorite thing that I ate during that race. Um, so whether it's fuel during a race or after a race or before a race, before Cayuga 50, I think I was on the burrito diet for like three days, so that was the fuel that carried me through that race. I don't recommend that necessarily, but it worked okay. Um, so, yeah, if it's there, absolutely I'll eat it. Uh, the chocolate milk is usually my go-to, and a beer is usually not far behind that. Well, the the chocolate milk is functional, right? I mean, you need that you need that protein, and you need those fats being replaced. So, I, I get that one. And then the beer is a painkiller, right? And then the burrito is really that's the age. especially you know these ultras we run through meal times, and so when you're hitting the finish line. You've got a pretty empty belly, even if you have taken upon the aid stations as somewhat of a buffet. There's no way that you've managed to put that anchor in your stomach of a regular meal. So when you when you hit that finish line, there really is a sense that you just want something as an anchor in there. And a burrito provides a pretty solid anchor. <laughs> yes, it so, does. So it uh, it definitely is is one of my my go-to post-race meals when, when it can be found. Yep. Well, I, I think, I think we've demonstrated that we have a lot more to talk about. Um, and, and I do, I do think the idea of uh, chatting with your dad, especially um, if we could do it after he has his twisted branch experience and can sort of bring that whole medical director as, as well as what it's like to, you know, crew for a guy who's up front, and and all of that i think yeah i think there's a lot more there's a lot more to be had here yeah it was it, it really is and i think it could provide a, some interesting insights to your listeners he as there was four of us in a hotel room right before burning river and i threw the latest ultra running magazine at him with uh, the article from sunny blend um and i don't remember which one it was and he read through it and he was laughing about how off it was in some of its physiology and what the body is capable of doing. And he then was explaining it. And as he explained it in medical terms, then he learned he had to sort of re-explain it in layman's terms to us. <laughs> but he's gotten really into the literature about endurance racing. And, and this has been as much as my own delving into ultra running has developed and become something more than I would have ever thought uh, in relation to the finishes I've, I've had and, and what I've been capable of doing. He also has developed um, a different approach to the kind of nutrition that we use during races and um, the kind of things to avoid um, and it really makes me feel at ease during a race, uh, in regards to that side of, of ultra running is I really just kind of entirely trust him and it is, it's really worked out for me. Um, so I think he could provide some interesting insights. And like you said, on the other side of being a medical director, rather than just supporting an individual and being there for, for others running a race, but overseeing a race in its entirety, how does that play out differently? Or what are the, what are the types of concerns that, um, became the predominant concerns. It seemed like Burning River feet were the big thing. There were so many destroyed feet. Um, and I'm sure hydration and, and electrolytes were big. I think the dropout rate was near 50%. And that had to do with a lot with the heat. But 
the injuries I saw were all foot related and Weldon certainly didn't have feet left when he finished. Oh, he had extra parts of his feet. <laughs> yeah, he had like extra toes. And, um, so, you know, medically, that was that was the issue at that race. But, you know, who knows what it will be at, at Burning River or excuse me, at um, Twisted Branch, if it'll be feet or if it'll be uh, something different um, there. And so to have him talk about what the medical needs were and, and, you know, creating a plan for responding for, to those needs as, as he saw that as becoming the predominant, uh, issue for, for runners, um, would be an interesting perspective. So I hope we can come back and join you again. Yeah. I think that'd be really cool. Um, my prediction is ankles. It's going to be all about rolled ankles at twisted branch. Um, and the the other thing you you had mentioned real quick was the the science of it all, and I'm I'm totally interested in that. I'm I I wouldn't call myself a big fan of Timothy Noakes because I I only understand about forty uh, percent of what he writes, but I've read both um, Lore of Running and Waterlogged, and they're both absolutely fascinating to me. So um, I will I will get all my quiz questions ready for your dad. Yeah, I, I keep teasing him that if I manage one of these years to actually punch my ticket to Western, that we're going to go early because they now have this huge medical conference for two days prior yeah. to the race with the latest uh, research on, on ultra running and endurance af athletics and athletes. Um, and so I want him to go to that so he can digest the medical side of stuff that I'd have no clue what they're talking about to then be able to apply that into into my running and, and into the running of others that, that are around us. So, but yeah, it's great to have sort of somebody who can break down the density of this material. You know, I'm just a lay person. I don't understand half of this stuff, but to have somebody that can create more clarity with it um, is very, very helpful. Yeah. That, and it's awesome that they do that. They do all the studying and the runners all willfully submit to the various testing for Western States because they also believe in it. And I, I think, I think that's fantastic research happening there. Yeah. But, um, yeah, I think, I think probably we should, uh, we should save some of this stuff for the next time though. Um, sure. So uh, I, I will end, I guess, with wishing you luck at Twisted Branch. I look forward to uh, burritos and beers and you being well-rested by the time I come across the finish line. It'll be a good race. We'll have a good time. Yeah. Well, thank you so much, Davin. Thank you, Chris, for having me on your show. I could chat with that guy all day about food, running, friends. The, the whole nine. Um, there's a lot there. And uh, as you heard, Davin is uh, quite interested to come back and chat with us some more. So that's that's pretty exciting for me, especially uh, given some of the local races that he runs around here. So that should be um, entertaining prospects for the future. And uh, as we wrap up uh, episode nine here, I just want to echo a little bit about what Davin said. This really is uh, a roving party of our best friends and um, a huge event for the community. And it's in um, huge thanks to Scott McGee for all the time that he's put into it. But also Scott's family, all the volunteers, all of the people that have consulted with Scott, everyone that's pitched in and 
you know, got the hype going for this race. It's it's um kind of a big deal and it's eight days away. And that's pretty exciting for a lot of people. So if you're not involved in Twisted Branch and you're interested, uh, Scott still has some volunteer spots available. And I'm certain that uh, even if the volunteer spots are filled up, you can still come down and help and or hang out. Finger Lakes is an awesome area. And um, we look forward to seeing you on race day. That'd be pretty cool to have a, a huge crowd of people out there as well. Um, with that, we're going to wrap up episode nine here. And, you know, as we do, um, first off, thank you all for listening, for sharing your stories, for being really great runners, and for uh, sharing this with your friends. Um, some of the more formal ways to share things, you can like us on Facebook. That's uh, the Facebook page is Run Inside Out. You can subscribe to the podcast on iTunes. Just search for Running Inside Out Podcast. Uh, send us a shout on Twitter at Run Inside Out. Uh, feel free to use the feedback form on the webpage. Um, and, you know, if all else fails, tell one of your friends. That's That's the best thing to do. So um, with that, be thankful for what you've been given, be proud of what you've achieved, and let go of what you've lost. See you out there.